0: Welcome back to another episode of TBA. Today, we're going to address probably the most challenging part of competing, dealing with an ever-changing body image. But before we get into today's episode, I thought we'd just touch on the WNBF show that happened over the weekend where Nicole was judging. So what was your experience like, Nicole? Well, I have to say that Seb and Yulan, the president and vice president
1: of WNB Australia, put on an absolutely fantastic show. Like they went above and beyond making sure that all the athletes were having the most enjoyable day. I heard nothing but positive feedback from the athletes, and no doubt you would have had that yourself being backstage. And we had some incredible lineups, some very hard competition, particularly across uh, men's physique and bikini categories. So um, some very, very hard calls. Some tiebreakers were across multiple divisions, which made it a really enjoyable show to actually judge. And it was fantastic to see for a federation that is just gaining momentum in Australia, the fact that they had the level of competitiveness and competition there with competitors from Australia. But not only that, we also had a host of competitors come from other countries, including the UK, we had Taiwan, uh, we had New Zealand, uh, Hong Kong, Indonesia. Um, So you know, considering that it was the first event for them being re-established in Australia, then that's a really tremendous outcome. And I know that they're only going to get bigger and better each individual season. So looking forward to obviously being a part of events next year with uh, potentially an a uh, May show and obviously an October show as well. But have to say the girls that showcased on the day for Bikini, whew there were some very impressive (laughs) competitors there. I I, I
0: did not envy you judging because I feel like some of the calls were literally just like a split decision. So I feel like what do you do in that instance? Is it just the amount of judges that vote for one person? versus Like what what do you do in the instance of a tie break? So uh, just for clarity, for WMBF, each judge judges individually. So you
1: judge on a scorecard. You basically rank from, you know, top – Place like first place downwards, um, and we each decide, and then collate scores are collated, and then basically like the it's deemed as being a non-biased score because um, scores are basically grouped, and then you know the majority wins. So there was definitely differences of opinion on a couple of instances. And when it comes down to tiebreaker, it starts to get down to the nitty-gritty detail. So particularly for um, in the bikini overall, um, there were some fantastic, fantastic competitors, but it came down to almost like this competitor was very strong in this pose, this one was better in this pose, and trying to pick it all together and who really showcased the best balance in accordance to the criteria. So we're always going towards the criteria and what is going to be the most uh, competitive in regards to looking at what the world standard is. So for example, like competitors that uh, compete in WMBF worlds and what the the average standard is and whether someone is going to be able to stand up to that. So it came down to some very minute differences and, um, you know, it wasn't easy. The girls didn't make it easy for us. In fact, none of the classes made it easy for us and, you know, they're. It's kind of the instance of, you know, someone might not have posed the best way they possibly could to showcase their best physique. Maybe they just needed to bring up a key air and it's just a little bit weaker than someone else. Um, so, you know, you're really pulling at strings and really, really picking apart someone's physique. So this like it's a good thing when it comes to that, like that really showcases that you have a very competitive lineup and you want a show to be like that. And it does make it very interesting. That's for sure
0: yeah absolutely. That would be so difficult to judge. I definitely- yeah, it was fun, I it was fun. Position, but I think it would give you so much more insight into like as being a judge, give you so much more insight into being a coach into you know how how like intentional they are about picking a winner and what the differences are between first and second place and how like minute that can be. It can be very small. It can be the matter
1: of maybe just someone just needing to come up a little bit bigger in a key area just so that they just have a little bit of an edge on their balance and symmetry, you know, having a slight uh, difference in their conditioning so they're a little bit more balanced. It can be as simple as their suit color not really balancing and contrasting with them um, and kind of like popping and bringing the judges attention. It could be their confidence in how they present, you know, you could have a fantastic package, but if you, you know, don't pose the best in the sense of like you pose good, but oh, you're just missing something. And yeah. there was definitely um, a men's physique competitor, that fantastic shape. but and, and the side poses, we were all just sitting there being like, oh, like just show us like your shape a little bit better. Like we just yeah. wanted to like yell out to like change something yeah. and like that's sometimes just being aware where of these very, very small details can have a huge impact and has to be really, um, I guess, uh, like stress that posing can make or break you to it a degree. Can, yeah. So, yeah, like don't neglect your posing, ladies, and make sure that when you're practicing your posing, you're also practicing your stage presentation in regards to how energetic you are on stage the Mm. level of engagement that you have so don't be scared to look at the judge make sure that you have good eye contact and you show that you are really enjoying being there it goes
0: a really long way and those little details
1: can be a tiebreaker
0: yeah, posing is so underrated. And I feel like if that's the difference between first and second place, the person who has better posing is ultimately going to take it out. Because if if you are literally splitting hairs between, you know, first and second place for a competitor, then posing is definitely going to carry you over the line. So if you are in your off season right now, make sure that you are practicing posing because there is no point having an incredible physique if you don't know how to showcase it.
1: No, no, not at all. And we had some really fantastic shout-outs. I think we were going to talk about a couple of contenders that we, well, not even contenders, like there were a couple of pro cards, one on the day, which is fantastic. So um, I I have to say, um, like, it was very hard to, I guess, find just one or two competitors that really stood out. In my opinion, there was quite a lot of girls that were just phenomenal physiques. You can tell that they had been... Uh, doing very well in their season as well so looking as though that they had competed previously um, and spent a lot of time in their offseason developing their physique so you know there were a lot of really really fantastic competitors but you personally had a couple that you wanted to shout out so who did you recognize as being fantastic?
0: Speaking of amazing poses, I honestly just could not keep my eyes off Honey Chan. I think that's her surname. She just looked absolutely flawless on stage. Her presence, her posing, her overall flow, it it was just so beautiful to watch. So absolutely loved seeing her on stage. And then also Chloe Rhodes, who won her pro card. She just had an incredible seek. It was very impressive, um, definite standout of the day. And then of course, my own client Zoe Chiatakis, I'm so incredibly proud of her. She won her pro card as well. And she'll be competing in Seattle in three weeks time, which is very, very exciting to have my client going international and having her pro debut. So yeah, they were the main standouts for me. But honestly, there were so many incredible physiques on the day. Who were standouts for you? I definitely uh
1: think Honey was a fantastic poser. She had one of the better presents when she walked out. You know, she really engaged with us and got the, the attention of the spectators and the crowd there as well. So I think that um she definitely was someone to continue to watch and see how she goes i know what her plans are for the rest of her season so i wish her the best
0: just her um, side
1: pose sorry to interrupt but just it is it was fantastic amazing. it was really
0: strong oh, yeah oh yeah. my goodness yeah i was so so impressed i just had to mention that as well <laughs> <laughs> Her front and side poses i was honestly just blown away she has an yeah. incredible physique and yeah i don't think she she will be too far off getting her pro card i know no. yeah so I think her strongest feature was her side
1: poses for sure. I'm pretty sure I wrote that down on my feedback as being like one of the key standouts. Um, Try not to have a biased opinion, but I do have to shout out Laura, my posing client who took out the Masters overall. Unfortunately, we didn't take the Masters pro card, um, which is just based on the fact that Uh, The judging panel, um, not including myself, so I did step away for Laura uh, just to remove bias, so I got to sit down and spectate in the crowd, which was good, but I believe that they just felt like she needed to have a little bit more development, Mm. but so close, so captivating and very proud of her achievements there. And I also think that um, one of the other competitors that competed in both Novice and Bikini, her first name is Jen. I have to apologize for not knowing her surname. She came out a Novice and we were all like, wow, like, yeah this is good. This is fantastic. Um, And she definitely has potential to grow. And I believe it was her second show competing ever. So congratulations to you as well, Jan. So there was definitely a lot of potential in that show. A lot of competitors that I hope will take away their improvements, uh, so improve and take away their feedback and come back in future events. So yeah, well done to all the ladies that competed across the weekend. Absolutely. Oh, and I do yeah. have one other key mention. Yeah. So there were more WMBF shows over on the weekend, yes, and later. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying not to just shout out our clients only, but um, I did have a posing client that competed in Malaysia and took out her pro card. So congratulations to Alison. So yeah, it's cool when you actually um get to have competitors that are giving their their season a red hot go and trying to really like work on those one percenters. I know that she had just come away from winning her pro status, uh, I believe twice, you know, just came second to the overall. So it just goes to show like don't ever give up uh, because sometimes you just need to make a few little improvements and, you know, you make it. And Mm -hmm. same goes to the ladies that compete this weekend. You know, some of the feedback that was given that you just have to make a few little adjustments, improve just, and a few key areas, and that's all that might be necessary. And then, you know, bring the same thing that you did before, slightly improved, you know, you could very much walk away with the goal that you wanted.
0: Absolutely. Don't be discouraged by just missing out on a pro card. I know that it's something that can feel so deflating when you just come so close and you just miss out. But honestly, I think that just lights a fire in you mm. going because you are literally that close. And like you said, when judges are splitting hairs over first and second place for securing a pro card. Um, yeah, don't don't be discouraged by that. and Instead, let it um I guess just yeah. more fire in you to come back even bigger and better so that it's just undeniable next time you step on stage. But That's I also want to touch on the fact that you said you took yourself out of the judging panel yeah, where, you know, it presented a conflict of interest, which I think is su- such a good idea. Is that something that they make you do or is that something that you had willingly chosen to do?
1: Um, It is something that we were asked to do to inform uh, who we obviously have clients and close friends. So I actually stepped off uh, in men's physique as well for a close friend, Michael Lee, who took out the master's men's physique and was awarded his pro status. So Michael is someone that I've worked with actually helping him peak on his uh, for ICN and MBA last year. So um, my partner Daniel and I, we assisted him with just, you know, bringing his peak week best i was his uh like doing his tan and things like that so it was a bit of a conflict there so i stepped away for that one as well i believe the other judges did the same thing so we just basically informed you know who who we have been uh coaching who are very close to us in the sense of like relatives or very close friends and i think that is the the best way to do that obviously being a judge and a coach yourself it is very hard to not have um some form of like awareness of the competitors like obviously um you know when you work in that space and you are aware of you know people that compete or um you see people compete at other shows and you just become aware of maybe their face or you meet them um Mm. or you know you see them uh, compete in another federation like it is hard to not um Hold bias. So it's really good if you are able to step away when it is definitely someone that you work with. And that's something that I will continue to do ongoing as well. So it does make it challenging, obviously, if you do have a lot of competitors that will be in a show that you might have to step away. But that's kind of the choice you make for obviously working with clients that are going to be competing in the same federation or the same show. So I think it's just uh, one of those things that you just discussed that really openly with your clients that, you know, um, obviously if you are going to be judging that um, you will not be judging them. Um, it will be up to the discretion of the other judges in the panel, which is also one of the reasons why we have more judges on the panel. So that way, if there are step aways, um, you know, we always have someone fill in. So um, say, for example, if I had to step away, Yelan would step in my place. When Joey had to step away for his clients, Yelan stepped in as well. Um, so that always enabled us to have the same amount of people on the panel at all times and had the same like skill set and knowledge and, and the eye for what we were looking for.
0: Yeah, which I think is so important. At the end of the day, I feel like it's hard not to hold that bias. Like it's definitely a conflict of interest to be judging your own clients or, you know, close friends or family. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely a good thing that the Mm WNPF makes you take a step back.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: But I'm pretty sure that's all we had to say about the wrap up unless there's anything else that you wanted to contribute. No, I just think it was an awesome show. I'm so sad that I don't get to do it again this season.
1: I (laughs) I have to wait until
0: next year. (laughs) I know. Well, it was the last last time I went to the WNBF show was when they last held it in 2019 so to actually come back not as a competitor this time but as a coach with my clients and as a pro myself it was just so nice to be in a federation that i'm a pro at and they just treat their competitors so extremely well and it's just such mm. a great community so I, honestly it was one of my favorite shows i absolutely loved it actually i don't even know if uh, you noticed there were a
1: couple of other um pro uh, like WNBA pros and AWNBS competitors that were at the show and also helping. Did yeah. you bump into anyone? Cause I, I did.
0: I did notice a few people, but I feel like it's so hard to tell when everyone's not tanned <laughs> up or slammed up. So it's hard to recognize people, but I did see some familiar faces for sure. Okay. So let's get into the episode. We all know that post-show experience is difficult to navigate. You've likely spent several months dieting to get as lean as possible. And now you're doing the complete opposite, which I think is quite jarring. I think when you're seeing the scales trend up, although it's necessary and you know that it's something that's meant to happen, it can feel, feel as though you're undoing all of your hard work. And when the body that you've worked so tirelessly to achieve is no longer stage lean, it can be a difficult reality to come to terms with. I think that your entire definition of what lean actually is changes once you've competed. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but I feel like what I used to perceive my body looking like lean is nowhere near what I would have seen (laughs) being lean as now. Like I feel like now that I've actually been shredded, I'm like, oh, (laughs) what I (laughs) thought was lean was definitely not lean. But I find that as a competitor, I had a constant habit of body checking. Is that something that you experience as well? You mean when I'm in prep or out of prep? Both, I
1: guess. I think uh, this is funny because I will be starting prep for next year in a few months well not even a few months obviously like that's coming to be like maybe um april april time but the idea of prepping soon after having a three-year off season is kind of weird because i know what my stage weight is and right now i'm currently uh 14 kilos above that so wow. the idea of being lean sounds foreign to me because it's been mm. so long that i almost can't even perceive what that looks like on me anymore and yeah. I think that's actually a good thing because previously, when I was competing back to back, I held on to the ideal of being that complain as being a little bit more comfortable than being in an off season. Yeah. Um, and now that I've had an extended off season, I now look at it in the other way. Exactly. But I don't think I did a huge amount of like body checking when it came to me transitioning as off-season. I kind of just started accepting that, no, I don't really want to look at my physique in the same light. Um, I wanted to just be accepting of the fact that my body is changing. I'm not going to be harsh on myself and pick at myself because things are changing or I'm seeing things starting to dissolve in the sense of, not seeing as much detail or definition or, you know, I'm starting to get a little um, bit thicker in key areas where I'm noticing my clothes are feeling different. Like I'm already aware of that. I'm not wanting to really focus my attention on that because I know that it's not going to make me feel good. So I worked really hard to try not to do that. I didn't really body check much in prep either. Like I know that there's a lot of competitors that, do do that and I'm a, not a person that takes a lot of selfies <laughs> particularly not in the gym so um, yeah I'm not going to be that person that sits there and like flexes and like tries to look at things Um, and more often than not the leaner I got in prep I used to start to wear more clothes so <laughs> I used to the cover clothes? up more oh. The cold and also I just didn't feel comfortable showing my physique as as funny as that is because I know that it wasn't a healthy depiction of you know what I normally look like so I always found that the time in which I was moving into maybe like that 10 to 12 weeks into prep I generally felt my best and I felt yeah I look lean but like I still have some shape like this felt good for me and then the same thing as when I was reversing out like it took maybe six to eight weeks. And then I'm like, yep, I feel really good. I'm starting to get more shapely. And I'm still like, you know, not like peak off season or anything like that. Like I put on some body fat, yeah. but I felt good. And that was probably, they're probably the pinnacles of when I would be maybe body checking because I felt good at that stage, but I don't body check all the time
0: yeah okay so in terms of your body weight now is that the highest your weight has been in an off season is
1: no 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 so my highest my body weight has been it was 68 um yeah. so that was pretty pretty much um after a stint of progressively building after straight after uh last prep um and i did put on yeah, relatively quickly as well because I was being very flexible, and then I also had some IBS issues, so I was also just not not um my my body was just really stressed as well on top of that. Yeah. But definitely not. I'm holding my body weight much differently as well than when I had had mini cut down to you know the weight that I am now. So my body composition is a lot different. Yes, there is body fat, but I also am holding a lot more muscle, so my shape looks different as well. I'm very happy with how I look now, which is is different than, yeah, like I honestly can say that uh, a year or so ago I was unsettled with the idea of sitting at this weight and I had to very much work on my acceptance that this was a good place to be and it's productive for me as a competitor. But not only that is I'm healthy, I'm happy, and I was enabling myself to, to live my life. Which, Which is how so
0: important. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. So and like right now, I'm I'm a week into mini cutting right now, actually. So I am down a kilo roughly already uh, because we have been very flexible over the season. Um so I did put on a little bit. Uh, Not much. Um, I think I put on a kilo over the course of several weeks as well, um, being a little bit more flexible and obviously eating out and things still training, still prioritizing my protein and and my my fruits and vegetables and things like that, but just obviously having more flexibility, not being in routine. Mm -hmm. And um, so now I'm, I will be progressively working to reach around 60 kilos. um, So that way I can maintain that a little bit more until I start prep. So the idea of like being comfortable now sounds even like I'm sure if I talked to myself a year ago, I would not be able to say that I would feel comfortable at this weight.
0: Okay, yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? So yeah. What, what is your stage weight?
1: Uh, so it's varied between 49 and 51 kilos. Okay. So my lowest stage weight was 49 in my last season, um, uh, which was my leanest that I've come in. My mm-hmm. stage weight when I uh won in WMBF Worlds was 51. So I vary between relatively 51 to 49. So I'm expecting my stage weight for next year to be between 50 and 51, even though I put on muscle. So yeah. that like it's it's good to be aware of the fact that even though you might have made progress in your off season, your stage weight might not have changed much.
0: Yeah, of course, because you might come in more condition, for example. Yeah. yes. Yeah. So I know that's something I struggled with is I would almost gauge the success of my reverse diet or my off season by not going over a certain weight. I feel like I almost I almost set this arbitrary number where I was like, if I, you know, am above this, then I've gone too far. I've done that. I, yeah. It's the same. Did, what Like, yeah. did you have a number in your mind that you were like, yeah, I can't weigh over this? And how did you overcome that barrier? I suppose. Yeah. So the first two
1: seasons was probably where that happened. So my first season competing was very restrictive after that season and I was scared to go over my macro. So that was the the year that I was very rigid routine and I wanted to be very disciplined and I was probably too disciplined and I didn't want to go um, over 57, 58 because that's where I felt comfortable. Yeah. And it was a comfortable weight and – I say comfortable because I liked how I looked at that weight. I felt attractive, but I also felt a little bit uh, leaner um, for an off-season weight. I definitely could have been a little bit heavier, um, but in the same token, I wasn't willing to be uncomfortable.
0: Mm. But
1: also at the same token, I was not really aware of what I needed to do in order to be able to maybe put on a little bit more muscle. Or um, understanding that, you know, being uncomfortable is not necessarily a bad thing. And when we're talking about bodybuilding, you are generally more uncomfortable than you are comfortable.
0: A hundred percent. And that's regardless of whether you're dieting or in a build. I feel like you're uncomfortable during both phases. I feel like it's very rare to be spending periods of time at maintenance. You are, you're yeah. either a body extreme or the other. You're either shredded or you're really uncomfortable because you're in a build and you're at a higher level of body fat. So yeah. that's always what I struggled to come to terms with because I didn't know what my body actually looked like when I was just, you know, just being, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So whereas I feel like since I had my spinal fusion operation and I really have just focused on maintaining the past couple of years, yes, I have lost muscle, but I've just, come to accept my body so much more because I just know how my body sort of looks year round, just at a maintenance sort of level. Whereas before I was doing, you know, back to, not back to back seasons, but I was doing season B every single year. So I was either shredding and comp for six months of the year or for the other six months I was in a build. So I was either in a surplus or I was in a deficit and either lean or at a higher level of body fat. So yeah, you almost don't really remember what your body looks like just at maintenance.
1: No. But also it's funny when, like, even when you said before, like, what's a weight that I am not willing to shift on? That is such a stupid concept. Yeah. and what, Like yeah. your, your depiction of what that up. weight is, is absolutely ridiculous because yeah. think of how much your body has changed since you first competed. Uh-huh. How many times have you been a similar weight, but mm. you looked completely different? Yeah. And I think people forget that, you don't shift too far off a certain point you're you physically can't your body won't enable you to push too far one way or the other no. without you going to an extreme and i mean an extreme as in you are just really pushing your weight because you're being really flexible with your diet and you don't really you know care what you're eating and you're overeating or you're being very restrictive your body has a set point where it likes to kind of sit in between and it kind of fluctuates around there and if you are you know just being in a maintenance period, your body is going to sit with within a period of where it feels really comfortable and all systems are, you know, functioning healthily. You you have to push yourself to go one way or the other. And, you know, I think people forget that even though you are trying to change your physique, you're not going to automatically be 80 kilos if you're yeah. meant to only be like 60 kilos. Like it's it's not yeah. it's not it's not possible. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. And that's why you do have check-ins with your coach so that you can ensure that it is a gradual increase in body weight, that you're not, you know, just putting yourself in too much of a surplus that you're gaining weight quite rapidly. And that's why it's so nice to have that accountability and support of a coach, especially in a build. Whereas I feel like most people would think that they only need their coach during prep itself when Mm -hmm. actually you know you would most benefit from being with your coach in an off season and making sure that that is structured and making sure that you're not just you know throwing all of your good habits out the window because just because you're gaining fat doesn't necessarily mean that you're gaining muscle no um (laughs) yes um even though you may think the dirty bulk is helping you put on a lot of muscle (laughs) I think that's almost something that I use as like a crux when I, I know that I went overseas after one of my, I think it was my second year competing, and I put on weight quite rapidly. And I was like, oh, dirty bulk. Like she's <laughs> she put on so much muscle. No. Um, if you aren't, you know, focusing on the habits that you established in your prep and you are just um you know, eating whatever, not training consistently, just because you're gaining weight doesn't necessarily mean that you're making any substantial progress to your physique. So definitely suggest having a structured off-season instead of um, just having a bit of a free-for-all. I think people forget that building muscle is
1: a very slow process 100%. and the quantity of which you can build muscle is so low comparable to what you can gain in other tissues. And when you start to understand that more and understand how energetically expensive it is for your body to hold onto muscle mass, let alone build it, you yeah. start to understand that you know the weight that you gain is more so attributed to adipose tissue, other connective tissue, water retention, glycogen uh, storage, like there are so many other facets towards weight gain and skeletal muscle mass gain is so small, unfortunately. And as much as we would like it to be greater, it's not something that you achieve kilos on kilos every year. You are probably only gaining several hundred grams per year and that's if you are training hard you are progressively overloading you're eating well you're eating the right in relation to your macronutrients and your caloric intake you know you're recovering you're sleeping well like
0: it just doesn't work like that it is it is no accident putting on muscle (laughs) you're not going to do a few reps and suddenly become the incredible haul because you definitely have to be so intentional about it so women who fear getting bulky in the gym um meanwhile we are doing our to try I don't even think I can
1: ever be bulky I look at myself and I'm like yep yeah, I put on muscle but I still look like a petite individual
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> no matter how hard we try and we're like dedicating our lives to this like exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh but yeah I find that it's definitely very common for people to body check especially in prep I think that I was definitely guilty of this. Like the second I woke up, mm. I would weigh myself. Like that was just common practice. I'd walk past a mirror, I'd, you know, lift up my shirt to check out my abs. And it wasn't even something that I was like consciously like trying to do. Like I wasn't conscious of doing it. It was just something that you, I guess you were so- I find that interesting though. because Checking out your physique though, because, you know, you're working so hard to make that progress. I didn't,
1: I don't, like, I mean- I might be forgetting aspects of maybe in my earlier years when I competed, just because it's so far gone now, and I'm like probably forgetting about it. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yes, common practice. You get up, you take your fasted morning train because that's data that your coach is asking you for. That's normal. I used to just like get on with my day, so yeah. I'd be just to just focus on okay, now I need to go eat. Now I'm gonna need to do that. Like I, I forgot. I probably forgot to even start to look at myself and um more often than not, the changes that I saw would be from me posing and practicing yeah. my posing because my last prep, I was recording myself, you know multiple times a week and mm-hmm. I would see those daily or yeah, or several daily changes and things like that. but start of your prep, you're not going to see any changes. first yep. couple of weeks, you're not going to see anything at all. You're probably not going to start to see changes until relatively about the four to six weeks um, of consistent dieting. Then you'll they'll start to become a little bit more evident. So I I don't, like I obviously did do the body checks every now and again. I would be like, oh, it's a different piece of lighting. Let's see if there's something different here. Yeah. But it wasn't a constant need to do that. I knew I was putting in the work. And I knew that if I did what I was supposed to, the change mm. is going to happen.
0: Yeah, of course. But I guess even like posing would be a form of body checking. Uh, well,
1: yes. There yeah. you go.
0: You know, yeah. we're being judged on how our body measures up. So, of course, we're going to be checking how we look. I think that's perfectly natural. <laughs> I find that it can only become problematic if you're left unhappy with your body. And I think if you weigh yourself and you feel unhappy with the number, it like ruins your overall mood, that's when it's a problem. You know, you mentioned that you would weigh yourself in the morning because that was data and you yep. perceived it was data, but I guess – some competitors will struggle post show when they weigh themselves and then they associate their self worth with that number. And they find that that ruins their mood or it um, derails their consistency for the day. And I definitely think that that's something that we want to avoid because that's something that generally happens post show. And I find that that's when people really struggle with their body image the most. I find that they're like, people are constantly trying to assess the damage that they've done. Like, if they may. That's a have- great way to phrase that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, they may even. I'd have competitors um, enjoy a meal post show, and then they'd weigh themselves the next day. And obviously, you're going to experience so much fluid retention. But it's almost them assessing the damage oh no, I put on three kilos overnight. Like, how can that be? I've, you know, derailed all of my hard work from prep and then they're beating themselves up and they're thinking, you know, should I restrict my calories today? Should I do this? Should I do that? And that's where you run into problems, especially when you're not working with a coach who can provide that logical perspective, because obviously you're highly emotional in that, in that frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And I think people have the tendency to. Restrict in those instances, or um, just really struggle with poor body image issues. Um, And that's definitely something that, you know, we really want to avoid post show because off season needs to be a phase that's going to be productive for you, not only physically, but mentally as well. Um, So if that's something that you struggle with, I definitely suggest working with a coach long-term. I personally, like if a client is wanting to only work with me for a set period of time, I make sure that they're at least working with me for 12 weeks post show. Like that is just non-negotiable because I think that that is really when a client needs their coach the most. But Yeah. yeah, it's definitely something that we you know, want to emphasize the importance of to make sure that you do have a productive improvement season. So I in this episode, yeah we, yeah. yeah, we pretty much just want to give you plenty of helpful tips to help you come to terms with your body image and how that fluctuates throughout prep and in your off season. And we want you to learn to love your body and embrace every phase of this journey, not just in prep. So I think, firstly, maybe just sharing our experiences with body image issues throughout our preps because we're definitely no exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. So what, I guess, were your biggest struggles in terms of body image, maybe even when you first started competing versus now, obviously, as you get more experience in the sport and you know, I guess more accustomed to the entire process. And, you know, as you get older as well, I feel like you become more accepting of your body. I definitely know that Mm. I'm so much more accepting of my body now versus, you know, when I first started competing, I think I was, I want to say 18. I can't really remember. Maybe I was like 19, 20. Such a baby. Such a baby, (laughs) you know, like how I perceive myself now versus then is completely different. Mm. So, yeah, what were your biggest struggles with body image? Well, I think uh, it's important to acknowledge that Body
1: dysmorphia is a uh, a sad part of bodybuilding, unfortunately. I think every competitor experiences this to a certain degree, whether they're male, female, they're first-time competitor, they're a seasoned competitor, and someone may experience this in multiple avenues of their their competitive journey and and may choose to work on it or may not. But I think it's something that we have to recognize is – um very common and it is almost one of the things that is presented because of the fact that we are in a very subjective and hypercritical sport so i think it's important to first and foremost acknowledge that if you are in a position where you do have a bad body image or you have tendencies for body dysmorphia then maybe competing is not the best sport for you or maybe you might require some assistance from another specialist However, if you are someone that is aware of it, but is also accepting that it's part of the journey and the growth and development, then I think that um, a lot of competitors can manage it very well. Um, For myself, I definitely came from a bit more of a background where I struggled with uh, probably putting on weight. Uh, just in my adolescence because I had a more of a restrictive, I guess, uh, adolescence with restricting my diet and overtraining and things. So for me, it was not an issue about getting leaner. Um, So prep for me was never an issue. So getting leaner and things like that, I always felt a little bit more comfortable being a bit slimmer. So when it came to an off season, obviously that was more challenging for me to accept that this is a normal and healthy kind of body weight, but also at the same token, um, when I started competing, I had never really seen myself look strong. Okay. So my goal was never really putting on muscle. So that was something to understand that my body shape is going to change as a result of this style of training that I'm doing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's conducive towards my goal. My goal is to build muscle because I compete in bodybuilding. So therefore my shape has to change. But becoming accepting of the fact that my shape was changing was just something that I just had to start to learn to be okay with. And as a byproduct of that, that meant that, you know, I don't longer can fit certain clothes or be a particular Mm -hmm. size. And that is also okay in the same token. It took me a while to come to the consensus that, you know, it's very normal for a, bodybuilder regardless of what category that they compete in should not fit the the standards of a particular uh social standard for a particular size or conform to a to a normal standard in regards to how they should look so i'm not going to obviously fit into clothes that you know might be fitting for everyone else that is just a general population because my proportions are different and that's yeah. because i'm working towards that as well so I think yeah. that was probably uh, the more challenging aspect for me is like my learning to adopt my sense of self yeah. into being like, I, I'm i actually wanting to kind of like evolve because mm-hmm. I, I'm interested in this. And it's accepting that as a part of that, I also have to allow
0: myself to change too. Of course. I think a big part of acceptance lies in trust. And that reminds me of a quote from Celeste Raines-Turk, who is a competitor herself, and she is also a mental health counsellor. So in my book, she said, if we trust that we're capable of creating the results we desire and that this is a long-term process, it will be a lot easier. I like to emphasise to clients that the athlete within you never left you. Just because you're not stage lean or you don't look like an IFBB pro you admire does not mean that she does not live inside you still. An improvement season allows for you to evolve in the sport and be the best athlete athlete you can be more tangible efforts to encourage body acceptance during this phase may be to wear clothing that you feel confident in you want to feel good in clothes that fit you well as opposed to wearing clothing that only fits you at your leanest and that may feel uncomfortable during your improvement season it is also important not to positively or negatively reinforce scale changes by keeping a neutral response and perceiving this information as data i encourage clients to celebrate wins and identify things they are proud of for the week before stepping on the scale all these things will contribute to seeing progress outside of scale weight so that this number doesn't dictate how we feel about ourselves or determine our mood for the day this can then be applied to both in season and off season as we can monitor our progress logically without emotion to determine how to move forward and i think that that's something that i really resonated with uh, especially after competing myself especially the concept of just just because you're not stage lean does not mean that the athlete ever left you i feel like people think that just because they're not stage lean they don't like people wouldn't perceive them as a competitor still but just because you're not lean doesn't mean that all of those attributes aren't still a part of you i think that's so important not to um not to feel as though you're no longer i guess worthy because you're not currently in prep um that's definitely something that i like to remind myself of
1: yeah i think um A lot of the reasons why people have issues in the off-season is because they forget that the habits that they have in prep are no different than what you should be having in an off-season and that consistency across a year, multiple years of doing the same things in the sense of training hard, training smart, following a training program, hitting your daily protein target, sleeping, recovery, all of those things are essential year-round And all of those things support you being an athlete, regardless of what weight you are or what phase you're in. So the habits that you form, regardless of whether it's you in a prep or you in an off season, they carry through both ways.
0: And that consistency over time makes you an athlete. Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons why people feel the most confident during a prep is because they do what they say they're going to do. You know what I mean? I feel like nothing like establishes that trust and self-confidence than saying, I'm going to do this and then actually doing it. Whereas in an off season, I feel like obviously you are a lot more balanced and a lot more lenient. So maybe when you set those expectations of yourself, okay, well, I'm not going to eat out and I'm not going to exceed my macros and I'm going to be perfect with blah, 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 blah. When you're, you're unable to meet those unrealistic expectations of yourself, it almost damages your confidence a little bit because you don't do what you say you're going to do. So I feel like it's not about um, not doing those things, but I think adjusting those expectations to being like, okay, well, now that I'm no longer in prep, I don't need to be 100% with this, this, and this. I can be 80% with this and have you know, a 20% leeway. So that way you're still establishing that con- confidence and self-trust within yourself because you still you still do what you're going to do, but you're actually realistic with the approach that you're taking and making sure that those expectations that you set for yourself aren't unattainable, if that yes. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. So I think, yeah, I've had so many competitors be like, oh my God, I'm going to nail my reverse. I'm going to be so perfect with it. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm always like, no, you're not. You're not gonna there, there is no perfect reverse. Yeah, there absolutely is the reverse
1: that you have is the reverse that you need to have, obviously. And the reverse that, that you chose to have. So true.
0: And I feel like even if it was, you know, a textbook bad reverse, you needed to have that. Like you said, because you needed to learn from that, you needed to grow from that. I have had reverse diets that have been less than perfect mainly because I didn't even know what a reverse diet was at the time, but I needed to go through that experience to, you know, better inform my decisions later when the next time I competed because I knew that I never wanted to feel that same way again. I think my, my worst post-show experience was after my second show. And that was because I just didn't. So my first show, I think I spoke about previously, I just followed a meal plan. I had no idea what macros were, um, I can't even really remember my off season, to be honest. Um, The next time I had a a whirlwind, Um, but the second time I competed, I did have a coach. I learned about macros and then I didn't have a reverse diet after didn't know what a reverse diet was. And that is when I really struggled. I gained weight quite rapidly. I think I gained nine kilos in six weeks, which was just um, how much percent of that of your body weight at that point in time. I'm trying to think of what my stage weight would have been. I feel like it would have been like late 40s, maybe. Um so you 20% of your body weight. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to think. It was like, oh I would say probably late 40s. Yeah. So probably about 20%. Which um, you know, and to put on weight so rapidly as well, like the time frame was very little. I think it was only six weeks. So that was just definitely a big adjustment, um, and definitely affected my self-esteem. And it almost went the other way where like, I didn't want to go into damage control. I almost wanted to hide away. I didn't want to train because I, in my head, I was thinking everyone knew I competed X amount of weeks ago. If I show up at the gym, people are going to be like, Oh, what happened? You know, what happened to her? And, you know, of course no one actually cares. Um, but in my head, that's what I was telling myself. And then I wouldn't miss the gym, which obviously just kind of, you know, perpetuated this cycle of, you know, not being active, um, you know, not tracking consistently, not feeling good about myself. And yeah that was definitely something that took me a while to snap myself out of but i definitely think that i needed to go through that to realize that i never wanted to feel that way again and to recognize exactly like what went wrong um but yeah if you're feeling the same way i highly recommend just putting on a baggy t-shirt and showing up to the gym anyway and that period of time is definitely not the time to enter a deficit I personally would not enter a deficit after a show for at least 6 months like minimum just because you know your body is doing so much in order to recover during that phase. So I think you have you haven't recovered yet even though you think you have
1: your yeah. your body hasn't it's can take several months just to regulate your sleep cycle let alone maybe your menstrual cycle your digestive system you might still be requiring a more diverse diet and Mm -hmm. getting your digestive system to be functioning adequately after you know going from very rigid to being very very flexible Um, and I think people forget that things take time and your body is only going to relax and allow energy to shift to uh allowing a bodily system to function and regulate normally once it's no longer feeling stressed. And mm-hmm. if you are going from one extreme to the other, you're still in a heightened sense of stress and your body is going to rebound really badly if you try to diet immediately after having a bit uh-huh. of a, I, a binge period, yeah.
0: I find that when you are already in that mentality as well, adherence to a deficit is it's not there. It non-existent. <laughs> so you're almost perpetuating that binge restrict cycle because you're trying to lose weight when your body is screaming the opposite. So I definitely suggest just embracing the fact that that happened you don't have to um okay you don't necessarily have to embrace it but I guess just accepting the fact that you know what has been and gone has happened Mm -hmm. and recognizing how you would approach your off-season better in the future maybe what you would do differently what you would like to improve on what went wrong um And yeah, I guess just use that as knowledge moving forward as opposed to just focusing on everything you could have done differently at the time and trying to get as lean as possible again. That is not going to be helpful. So definitely recommend just spending a period at maintenance and definitely a longer period at maintenance. So you can actually get used to what it feels like when you eat to satiety and, you know, training with energy again, having a bit more body fat on you, enjoying more flexibility and uh, having your libido back, getting the return of your menstrual cycle. These are all such positive attributes that come with gaining body fat and being in an off season. So I think celebrating that instead of fixating on what you look like. And I know that that is definitely easier said than done, um, but it's definitely a process and, um, yeah, I guess that's just one of the negative implications, I guess, of bodybuilding sometimes is that, you know, we don't always get it right and we're human at the end of the day and sometimes we make mistakes or we don't go about things the way that we wish we would have. But as you said, it's probably the reverse diet that you needed to happen in order to learn mm-hmm. and grow from it. I think it's
1: also important to remember that you only think you need to do something that like I said you think you need to do it doesn't mean it's the right thing if you've never experienced it how do you know what you need Mm. and if it's not what you think is ideal it doesn't matter if that's what is necessary for you to get back to being healthy Mm -hmm. and happy again and a lot of the um feedback that I give my clients uh, in their reverse and then currently doing that with a few at the moment is making sure that they are being aware of how they're feeling in the moment being able to either journal or self-reflect and identify opportunities where they are becoming more self-aware being more accepting obviously being kind to themselves and understanding that you know then not doing anything wrong at the end of the day what they are doing is for a reason and if they need to be more flexible because it means that they're going to get an element of their life back quicker sooner rather than later because it's important to them Mm -hmm. then that's great like that's good and it's important to recognize that that is something that should be celebrated because it's important and has value to you Mm. Even if it means that you are putting on a bit more body fat than maybe you would feel comfortable with, at the end of the day, what needs to be the priority is your happiness. And if that means you know being a little bit heavier than mm. what you thought was ideal, but you're happier in your sense of self, your relationships, your work, your your just general vitality, then that's really important. And everything that you experience in a week, you can reflect on. And find opportunities to work on for the following weeks to make it more manageable for you. So that way you can grow and uh, become better at um, reversing out. And it doesn't need to be just feedback
0: for the next one. You can use that feedback immediately as well. Yeah, 100%. I think it's funny that you said that it feels wrong. It feels like you're doing something wrong. because That reminded me of a check-in that I had with a competitor who's just finished up their show and they said that it felt wrong ordering a coffee with milk because they're so used to black <laughs> coffee. But and also you should enjoy that. Like I think, enjoy it's- it 100%. It's- I think it's important to
1: start to look at it from the perspective of if you were in a normal, like not even an off season, if you were just living your day-to-day that wouldn't be a problem for you. You would just do that. But why would you do that? And where do you get enjoyment from it? More often than not, we get enjoyment from social interaction. It typically is around food, but it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. a food. It's the interaction. It's it's who you're with, the environment you're in. So start to (laughs) appreciate those things. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's definitely the food as well. But okay, like if that is something that you enjoy on a daily basis, Mm-hmm. There's nothing bad about that and you shouldn't sit there and be like pondering on it for the rest of the day and be like oh what do i do i uh, i can track that but it's going to be over my macros or no i'm over my macros now mm. no like that's not the the mindset that we want you to have it's we want you to be able to be like okay i'm going to have a coffee with milk today yeah, yeah i'm going to go over my macros today for for whatever but I really enjoy this. This makes me feel happy because of X, Y, Z, and you in the moment get to enjoy and appreciate something that you haven't had for a long period of time and makes you feel your best self.
0: Yeah. And that self-awareness is so key. Like you said, you know, I may go over my macros today, but did I enjoy it? You know, did I have a fun time with my friend when we went out for coffee? Absolutely. As opposed to, oh, I've gone over my macros. Like, I've derailed my whole day. I may as well just not track today. I'm going to go eat X, Y, and Z. I'll start again tomorrow. That's, I think, where people fall victim to that all or nothing mentality. Whereas if you can just acknowledge that something has happened, acknowledge why you did it, what, mm. like that you got a sense of enjoyment from it and then just move on and carry on with your day is yeah. so important. But I think it feels wrong because it's unfamiliar. I think, yeah, I, I even experienced this myself. I remember... um I would try and have instances where you know if I was unable to track where I would just you know gauge my portion control with my own eyeballs like everyone else every normal person like a normal was, person like a normal <laughs> human um but it felt wrong like not weighing out the food but even like I was joking with my client Zoe she was um she was weighing something and like she put the food on the scale and it was the exact weight she needed and I was like that had to be- so often, and it's just because you its you so become in tune repetitive. with it. Yeah, it's such a repetitive habit that you, yeah, you just become so much more self-aware. Um, And, yeah, generally you're pretty spot on. I mean, when you've been weighing 100 grams of chicken breast for the past 30 weeks, I'm pretty sure that you can, you know, gauge how much 100 grams of chicken breast is just by eyeballing it. So I think just having more confidence and self-trust is so important during that phase and recognizing, okay, you know, in instances that I might not be able to track, I, you know, have built such a established nutritional literacy that I can make these decisions without necessarily tracking and it's going to be okay. I'm not going to, you know, put on your X amount of weight just because I can't weigh this or that throughout the day. And just trusting that, you know, you can make more informed decisions. I think when you think, that you're going to be out of control the second you aren't able to log something in my MyFitnessPal or able to track it 100%, um, then that's when you kind of lose that trust within yourself and yes. you don't feel as confident in social situations.
1: I think that's a really good, good point. I think when people don't have confidence in themselves, then that's when they fall at risk to losing control. So mm-hmm. if you are aware that, okay, I'm going into a social meal, I'm probably going to eat more than what I would normally do. So I'm going and spending time with people that I have been wanting to see for a long period of time and I'm looking forward to eating this meal, Um, but I'm scared of what I'm going to eat. That goes into it with a really negative outlook and you're more likely to sit there and, one, not enjoy it or, two, lead into falling out of control because you are looking at it from the wrong perspective. Yeah. I think people have this negative association with social eating or eating out and they're reversed. and that's not the best ideal when it comes to wanting to try to have an enjoyable meal but also being able to be in the moment
0: mm-hmm. and
1: be able to like if you are sitting there being scared of um, overeating. How are you going to be able to listen to whether you are full or whether you have had enough or if you are actually enjoying your meal, you are more likely to be able to stop when is necessary. If you are able to be more present than if you are sitting there being worried and concerned and not present.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I encourage my clients not to avoid these social settings at all. I think the more experience you have in exposing yourself to these situations, the more confidence and self-trust that you're going to build that, you know, I can go into this situation and, you know, sometimes you won't get it right and sometimes you will overeat and, you you know, may come home feeling much fuller than you wanted to feel. But that's all feedback, right? Now you know that that was your limit and, you know, you don't want to go there again because you felt uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was like my biggest win post-show is that I was so used to eating absolutely everything on my plate. You kind of push, the, push past the barriers of fullness because that's what you're used to in prep. You're eating to numbers. You're kind of disregarding those hunger and satiety cues. And I was just so used to eating absolutely everything that I had in front of me that, you know, when I did go out to dinner and I was like, oh, good like I don't need to eat that like the rest of the food on my plate like I I feel full that was such like a mental win for me because I was like I don't need to do that you know Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel the need to like force myself past the point of feeling full Um, I just ate until I felt hungry uh, until I felt full sorry Um, and that was enough and that's definitely like mental wins I feel like that Mm -hmm. get get overlooked during this process and it's definitely something to celebrate and i know it sounds so simple to a lot of people (laughs) but it is it is a win it is it is
1: it's the same thing as if you know that you're going to be going out for a meal that you planned earlier Mm -hmm. in the week it doesn't mean that you have to restrict the whole day eat your normal meals for the day and make sure that you are staying hydrated you're more mm-hmm. likely then to go into that meal and actually just enjoy the meal for what it is and not feel like you're going in for this borge fest because you've been yeah. deprived all day. Yeah, and really. like that's also giving you better intuitive eating skills to then be able to just go about a normal day of eating without having – need to be restrictive or overindulgent or, you know, track your nutrition. You can Mm -hmm. still make good choices with that. And in fact, you're probably going to make better choices because you have a clearer mind.
0: Yeah, of course. And I think it is also important to be aware of the fact that, you know, in the initial phases post-show, you are really going to struggle with food focus and just your ability to regulate your hunger and satiety hormones. I feel like you will not be in tune with your hunger at all it won't be able to switch off the hunger (laughs) yeah I almost felt like I just had this uncontrollable hunger I just felt like I could never feel full (laughs) like did you have anything that
1: made it worse like any foods that made it worse for you um
0: I think I definitely had more of a craving for sweet food which isn't Mm. I mean normally I'm a very savory gal but I think because and I was talking to someone about this I think Sweet foods are so hard to replicate in prep without obviously resorting to sugar alcohols. And obviously that does not taste the same and will wreak havoc on your GI tract. But <laughs> I yeah, I think it because it's so hard to replicate that when you have actual sweet stuff after show, it's like it's addictive. And I think that definitely encourages you to eat more when something's so palatable. Of course, you're going to want more of it. So I think I definitely had more of a craving for sweet food, I would say, but I don't think anything like made it worse. I just felt like I never felt full and I was almost always thinking of the next meal, which I feel like is very common in prep regardless, but I always say that until you reach your natural set point of where your body actually wants to be and you're at homeostasis you are still going to experience that your hunger and satiety is going to be so skewed because you're not at a comfortable level of body fat your body is screaming to want to get back (laughs) to you know a level of comfort and i think if you're still depriving yourself and still being overly restrictive and that's i think ties into whether you know a reverse diet or a recovery diet is more appropriate for the client Um, but generally i take the approach of a recovery diet i think there's any point in slowly increasing calories over a period of weeks generally i will bring a client's calories up to five to ten percent shy of maintenance obviously it will be their new predicted maintenance from their deficit which won't be you know as high as what their previous maintenance would be and then from there we end up doing slow increases of their calories each week and they're a lot a lot less um a lot less aggressive than the first jump to calories what has been your approach i guess with reverse dieting i just, i, I generally like, opt for i would say a
1: recovery as well even though I, I the i mean you could say recovery reverse um but still have um you know one protocol versus the other i still probably refer to it as a reverse but it is definitely a recovery because i, call I want my yeah my, i want my clients to be back to feeling good sooner rather than later so generally speaking i want them to be gaining um, anywhere between 3 to 5% body weight in the first couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Depending on the individual, it could be a little bit more as well, depending on their frame, their size and their needs, how lean they were. Um, and uh, generally I will do similar, get them, around maintenance obviously depending on what they were doing cardio cardio comes down considerably steps Mm -hmm. come down so that's as a byproduct as well of what their new intake will be so you know it doesn't mean that your macros are going to be the same as what they were in the off season um they're still going to be within reason like you said with predictive maintenance being now at your new weight um but i have opted And I do this time to time depending on the client and the need uh, where I might temporarily bring them in a slight slightly larger surplus or above predictive maintenance as a means of temporary assisting with hunger so Mm -hmm. if they are someone that has a very strong insatiable need and we're more likely to be able to stick to a higher intake for a short period of time i will bring up calories a little bit higher and this is also something that i've done in a like a recovery reverse period myself and found it to be uh, successful also from a mindset to know that you're at least kind of working within a higher budget and not having that uh, disappointment that you're not adhering to a target because you are being more flexible. And I think that that can be really great, particularly for someone that Is having difficulties with um, adopting flexible meals through the week and wanting to kind of feel like they are doing well and you know having check-ins where they feel like they are being productive and they're improving that can be really fantastic and it doesn't mean that they have to stay in that intake for the entire off season you know we do bring it down depending on the client and come back to a more maintainable intake as well Um, so that is a a protocol that I've implemented before Mm -hmm. and. currently and doing so as well with, uh, a couple of clients. So I think it really varies on the client, but ideally wanting to, to put a you know, a, a decent amount of body fat on, uh, right away. Yeah. You really yeah. need to, to do so not just for, um, you know, getting to feeling energetic. You know, if you're Goal is competing again. Hey, we got to get back into the gym. You got to feel good. Um, you know, priority needs to be menstrual cycle regulation, you know, making sure that you're getting back onto your sleep and recoverability. We don't want you sitting in a stress state for longer than is necessary. And unfortunately, you know, if we do drag out that reverse, you're just kind of like drawing out that process and you're just prolonging how long you have to feel awful.
0: Oh, absolutely. I feel like you're almost just delaying the inevitable. I feel like everyone is going to return back to their set weight regardless. Mm-hmm. So I think drawing out that process like you said it's just making you miserable for longer. Yeah, you're just
1: suffering for no reason whatsoever unless maybe you had a photo shoot and yeah. you know after comp and you wanted to maintain your look still very much reverse you out but do so maybe a little bit slower just so that way you know you still look your best on your uh, photo shoot but obviously looking a little bit fuller um but no no we definitely want to make sure that you get out of that very quickly and it's only going to benefit you in the long run to do so compared to just dragging things out like no one is going to feel good once they've done you know a 20 to 30 week prep and then you add another eight to ten weeks of reversing out really slowly like
0: Yeah, of course. (laughs) It's almost setting yourself up for failure to expect that you're going to behave the same way that you would in prep in an off-season. It's just unrealistic. Mm -hmm. So like you said, I think it can be the most productive option to actually increase their calories to more than what their predicted maintenance would be. Because if they're already exceeding their calories anyway then, you know, they're having those feelings associated with guilt because they're not hitting their targets. They're feeling like a failure. They're wondering why they have, you know, no sense of control and they're eating far more than they would actually be if you set your targets a little bit higher and then they were actually adhering to them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's definitely why it's important to work with a coach because they can make those adjustments and And provide that logical perspective.
1: And I think it's important, like, that's it. Like the logical perspective, like Mm -hmm. I could give you macros and be like here you go and you might be like oh well these are my macros and then in my off season I'm going to keep building them up no that might not be what we are wanting to achieve this might be a temporary solution for helping you just regain some normality put on mm-hmm. a little bit of body fat being able to fit in some flexibility and still feel yeah. like you're in control yeah it's not it's not like a yep these are just going to continuously keep moving up um mm-hmm. and I think that also depends on the individual as well. Depends on what you do for work. Maybe you have a very energetically demanding job. Maybe you actually do need to get back to being optimal at work. Okay. Maybe you've been like, maybe you're a, I don't know, you work in an industry where you are physically like a labor demanding job. Hmm. Okay. I'm more than sure that you're probably needing to come up to higher energy levels. So that way you can be more productive at work. And you know, that might be necessary to bring your calories above maintenance for a short period of time.
0: And that's why it's not productive to compare yourself during your off season, because no two athletes are going to be the same. Everyone's going to have different requirements. And I think that's also something I guess I struggled with in body with body image was comparing myself to either people on social media or even just comparing me to me and how I looked X amount of weeks ago. That was definitely something I guess that I struggled with. And I would kind of gauge my success of my reverse diet on would be, I guess, either how I measure up or um, how little body fat I put on during that phase. Because I guess when you look at someone who's, I guess, rapidly gained weight in their off-season, you think that they, you know, have failed. Something wrong, yeah. Something's wrong. wrong. They've done something wrong. They, you know, screwed up their reverse diet or whatever else. And, um, yeah, I think that's something that I struggled with and maybe just worrying about what other people were thinking or... um, Yeah, I guess just the the opinions of others or just comparing myself on social media. I don't know if you experienced the same thing. I
1: think when I started competing, it was a bit different on social media just Mm -hmm. because social media has just evolved, like, immensely. Um, Being a a bit more aware of, um, obviously, things now, I think that it's pretty – open that people edit things on social media Mm -hmm. i think people are a little bit more switched on the fact that people only showcase their best and it doesn't really reflect what they look like now it could be like Mm -hmm. reposting old photos so i think becoming more aware of that sort of stuff when you are looking at comparing yourselves and um you know someone that might have competed they might be in the same position as you, but they might still be posting photos from several weeks ago. You have no idea. And I think that that is something that you have to remind yourself that if you are on socials that people are still going to post their best self and and what they want to display. Like you can't look at that as that's where they are at in their journey. Their journey is different. But also I think it's it's good to recognize when maybe stuff like that is not supporting you and maybe whether you have to take a step back to yeah. so maybe not being on sociables as uh, socials as much or even maybe if you're struggling comparing yourself to what you look like, you know, maybe in your check-ins, maybe talk to your coach about not having your your previous photos and prep being accessible to you. So, you know, maybe that way you're not then feeling the need to go back and look back and continuously compare. Um, so like you don't have to always have things accessible if you think that it's going to be a trigger. There's, there's definitely things that you can do to still check in and see how you're progressing, but not compare yourself in the same token to yourself or others.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that can almost go the other way as well. Like you said, um, people posting old old photos, maybe they're not posting old photos, but they are, you know, heavily restricting themselves. And maybe they are struggling with not being able to incorporate much balance. And that's why they've stayed as lean as they are. So everyone's, you know, battling their own demons, Mm -hmm. I guess. And I think that's, you know, even more reason to stay in your own lane and just focus on your journey and no one else's because you don't know what other people are going through or what other people are struggling with. So I think it's just very important to be mindful of that and just try not to compare yourself to other people. Um, Another thing that I also like to work on with clients is called the triple column technique. And basically it's just how to defeat negative self-talk because I feel like that's something that a lot of people definitely struggle with in their off season, especially. So essentially you just create three columns. So you have your automatic thought, which is basically just the negative thought that you have, the cognitive distortion, which category this falls into, and then your rational thought. So separating thoughts from facts and acknowledging that just because you're thinking something doesn't mean that it's actually true. So this may look like an automatic thought, which is, you know, I've gained too much body fat. I've screwed up my reverse diet. Cognitive distortion might be that this is, you know, all all or nothing thinking. And then your rational thought may be, you know, I'm putting on body fat because it is necessary and it's, you know, helpful in order to you know, grow into the physique that I want to achieve to be successful in this sport. So I guess just flipping the script and being more mindful of the way that you speak to yourself because, you know, your inner dialogue is so important. And if you're constantly berating yourself and being overly self-critical, that is exhausting. You think about, you know, instances where you've been bullied. It's like you're constantly bullying yourself when you're, you know, talking critically about yourself. So I think it's so important to, I guess, pick yourself up on those thought patterns and just try and challenge them wherever possible because, yeah, it's so de- so deflating when you're constantly at war with yourself. And I think it's so important to just kind of become more self-aware. Yeah,
1: I agree. I do similar. I get my clients to journal, uh, mm. take moments to self-reflect and actually start to identify behaviours and patterns and, you know, maybe why they were feeling a certain way. Maybe there's a trigger or something in their environment. Like you, like you said, maybe there is just a thought or a, a particular perception that they should be having about a certain thing. So I think mm-hmm. that's really, really important, and I think more people should be open to the idea of being able to like change their internal dialogue and you know be open
0: to like learning how to yeah. as well. Yeah, of course. What would I guess be your main takeaways from this episode? What would be your main pieces of advice? for competitors who may be struggling with body image? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Goodness.
1: I think my biggest takeaway would be what you think and feel in this moment is going to be different tomorrow. So what you think you need to be right now because you're looking at yourself either how you look now, what you think you need to be or where you want to be everything that you're doing currently is in your power to either work towards your next goal or learn from something that you didn't agree with in the past. So I think it's important to um, make sure that you are being aware that your journey is ever, ever changing. You can decide on how it's going to go and it's up to you to be able to take on board your own critique and feedback and experiences and learn from that and you know no one is perfect everyone is going through their own issues
0: mm-hmm. everyone
1: is on their own timeline you don't have to be anywhere at any particular point and you know regardless of whether you are a first-time competitor or you're like us we've all had similar experiences at different intervals and No, we're all human. So just be kind to yourself and know that this is part of the journey and being open to learn and grow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said, Nicole. (laughs) I think ultimately it just comes down to changing the expectations and standards that you have of yourself in an improvement season versus in prep. Because I think if you're trying to hold yourself to the standard of being in prep while you're in an off season, of course, you're going to feel like a failure because it's just not realistic. So I think just being realistic with what you're actually wanting to achieve in your off season, maybe setting some more multifaceted goals. So it's not purely around what you look like and competing and focusing on other aspects of your life as well, celebrating non-scale related victories. And also just acknowledging that, you know, you are going to have poor body image days from time to time. You're going through a transitionary period where you're gaining weight and you're getting back to a level of body fat that's healthy for you. So, you know, you're going to look different and that's a bit of an adjustment and that's okay. It's going to be uncomfortable, but um, you know, I guess that's just something that you really have to have a neutral approach with and just learn that if you are wanting to be successful in the sport, you are going to have to accept the fact that your body image is going to be ever changing and just embracing all parts of it. I think if you're only embracing your physique in prep, you're really missing the point because there is beauty in every phase, you know, without, having a structured off-season and putting on body fat and gaining muscle, you're not going to be able to have that same, you know, byproduct of prep because you haven't put in the work. So I feel like each phase, you know, is important in its own right and I guess just celebrating each phase that you're in and knowing that, you know, every phase is temporary, like you said. So, yeah, I think that's just so important to be mindful of and just embracing the process, not necessarily just the outcome because, you know, this sport should be you know about the process and learning to love the process regardless of which phase you're in agreed look look at us being so insightful I know But that's pretty much all that we had to say in this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please make sure that you screenshot, tag and upload it on your story. We absolutely love hearing from you and we've loved all of the feedback that we've received so far. Bye.